If you have a Bible, you can turn to John 18. All right, John 18. We're just going to jump right in. Jesus has been preparing us and preparing the disciples for this moment um, for a while. Since chapter 13, we've been building towards uh, Jesus' arrest, which is what we're going to read about this morning. So starting uh, verse 1. When he finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and he crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed Jesus, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So it's really late at night. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. They've had a last meal. We see that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not in John. He's predicted his betrayal, and so Judas is gone. So the whole time Jesus is preparing the 11 disciples for his departure, now we see what Judas was doing. As he was going to the chief priest, he was concocting this plan to ambush and arrest Jesus in the garden. So he, he crosses, you'll see there's a picture there, the Kidron Valley. He crosses that and he winds up in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's where Jesus is. And then this detachment of soldiers. That word detachment is a technical word for 600 soldiers. I don't know if John meant it technically or not, but that's what that word means. That's a lot, that's a lot of guys with swords and torches, and they come out to Jesus. Maybe that many because they're afraid of a riot. In Matthew 26, the Pharisees say, we want to arrest Jesus, but not during the festival, so there won't be a riot. Remember, this is a Passover festival, so there's a lot of uh, religious fervor. There's a lot of expectancy around uh, the Messiah, the coming Messiah, God delivering his people from oppression. And so maybe just to be safe, the, 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 the chief priests say, hey, we need, some, we need some guys with us. And so they're able to get the Romans to send 600 of their soldiers. I don't know. But they all come, and Judas is there, a part, of the, um, a part of the mix. He's leading them to this place where he knows Jesus and his disciples spend time. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I'm he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, Jesus asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those you gave me. So John has a bit of a different perspective than Matthew, Mark, and Luke on these events. And one of the things he wants us to make sure that we know is that Jesus was in control. He was not a victim of circumstances. He was not getting pushed around. He's the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus is explicit. He says, I, 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 of my free will, or your Bible may say, of my own accord, of my own initiative, I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. And you see that here in this exchange. You've got 600 soldiers with some religious leaders in Judas. And Jesus comes out to meet them and says, who do you want? And they say, Jesus. And he says, I'm he. Literally, I am. And they all fall down. Like, so picture that. They all fall down. In Exodus 3, when Moses is bartering with God about being the deliverer of the, uh, of the Israelites, Moses says to God, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? And Jesus says, tell them I am. Or excuse me, God says, tell them I am 
sent you. It's the name of God. And throughout the Old Testament, when God appears, people fall down in front of him. And that's what we see here. Jesus says, I am that same name applied to God. And people fall down when he reveals himself in just uh, a small measure. And so again, picture the scene. So you've got 600 people laying on the ground. And I guess Jesus waits for them to stand back up and says, all right, let's try again. Who do y'all want? And they say, Jesus. And he says, I'm, it, that's me. And if I'm the one you want, you let everybody else go. Again, he's talking to a group with 600 swords. And he says to them, here's the deal. Y'all can have me, but you can't have anybody else. Because he'd already said in John chapter 6, he wouldn't lose anybody that the Father gave to him. And so we see him again, good shepherd, protecting his sheep. Next section. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him, brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So that to me is comical. So you've got 600 guys with swords, and Peter pulls out his sword. I mean, he doesn't go after anybody that's got a sword. He goes after this other guy, and he cuts his ear. I don't know what he was swinging at, but he cuts his ear off. And we know from Luke that Jesus heals this guy's ear. And he says to Peter, that's not what we're doing. This is what I've been moving towards. This is the hour. We've seen that throughout John's gospel. The hour, the hour, the hour, the hour. So this is the hour that Jesus has been moving towards for the last three years of his public ministry, when he would be arrested and when he would be crucified. And so, again, he is willingly embracing this. John says that they arrest Jesus. It looks a whole lot more like he chooses to go with them. He surrenders himself more than they take him by force for sure. And they take him to a guy's house named Annas. So um, Jewish high priests were high priests for life. But Annas was a jerk, and so he was deposed by the Roman government. They said, you can't be the high priest anymore. And uh, his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was now the sitting high priest. And you may be... Remember him in chapter 11. He was the one that said, hey, it's better that one man die than that the whole nation perish. That was Caiaphas who said that. But Annas still has a lot of power. And just like we would call George Bush or Barack Obama president, they would continue to call Annas a high priest even though he wasn't the high priest any longer. But he still had a lot of power and a lot of authority. And, and that's who uh, receives Jesus initially. That's the, they take Jesus to Annas' house. Simon, Pe Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, no, I'm not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So we don't know who the other disciple is. Some people think John, the guy who wrote this. We'll, we'll just go with that. So Peter and John go to the Annas' house, and there's a courtyard, and there's a girl who's kind of watching the door, and John is known to the high priest, so he can get in, and then he vouches for Peter. And so Peter can get in. And on the way in, this servant girl says, 
you're not one of them too, are you? And he says, no, no, I'm not. So you think about the change in Peter's demeanor. In just a couple of minutes, he went from pulling out a sword and I guess ostensibly saying, I'm going to fight this entire detachment of soldiers to now being afraid to say he even knows Jesus to a servant girl. And servant girls are at the bottom of the food chain in terms of authority, power, clout. They've got none. They're at the bottom of the social ladder. And Peter's afraid to even say to her that he knows Jesus where just a few minutes before he was willing to fight. It seems single-handedly to protect Jesus. What happened? That's how shocking it was when Jesus got arrested. Even though he'd been preparing the disciples for the moment, they were, it turned their world upside down. And you can, again, see in Peter's response, it, they were, even though he'd been preparing them, they were not ready. They couldn't conceive that God's Messiah, God's Son, God's chosen one could be arrested and be bound over. That was inconceivable to them. And so their heads are spinning. And Peter responds accordingly. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I've always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. In this way, you, is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why would you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So there's, it's kind of interesting. John uses this word meanwhile twice, so it's these simulta- simultaneous things are happening. Peter's in the courtyard being questioned about his relationship with Jesus. Jesus is in the high priest's house being questioned about his disciples, about his relationship with people like Peter. Peter is denying that he knows Jesus at the same time that Jesus is protecting Peter from the religious authorities. They ask him about his disciples, and it makes sense. They want to squash any hint of an uprising. They don't want anybody following Jesus. That's what they say in chapter 11. It's what they say in chapter 12, the religious authorities, that is. They are so afraid that Jesus is going to draw this huge following and that the Romans are going to come and take away their nation and their land. That's what the religious leaders say they're afraid of. And so they've got got to figure out who's following Jesus. They've got the leader, and they've got to see, okay, who are the lieutenants, who are the primary followers, and what do we need to do about them? And again, we see Jesus as a good shepherd protecting his sheep. He He doesn't say anything. He says doesn't even mention his disciples. And he says about my teaching, you've already heard it all. I taught in public. Ask anybody what I said. Slapped in the face, it's a huge insult. And then sent to Caiaphas, who is the high priest, the sitting high priest. John doesn't record that trial. Matthew and Mark do. So you can read what happens in Matthew and Mark, what happens to Jesus at Caiaphas' house. Meanwhile, there's that word again. Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So you get the picture. Simon Peter's by the fire. He's denied once. At the same time, Jesus is standing up for him in this hostile environment. Peter is afraid to say to a servant girl that he knows Jesus. Jesus is standing in front of this hostile crowd that's looking to kill him, and he's protecting Peter. At the same time, now we flash outside again to Peter again, and he's still around the fire warming himself. So they asked him, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, 
challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And we won't see Peter again until after the resurrection. And when we do, we'll tie together these denials and how Jesus responds to him after. But again, I think for this section, for us this morning, the picture there, we have Peter denying knowing Jesus, Jesus protecting Peter, Peter denying knowing Jesus. And so it, it highlights Jesus as the good shepherd, that he lays down his life, he protects his sheep, even when it costs him, even when his sheep are being faithless towards him. These are non-repeatable events, once in, a, once in history events, the Son of God to be arrested and then crucified. And so it's easy maybe to keep a, a distance from the story and read it, um, again, kind of at arm's length. I was thinking about that and, and thinking particularly about Jesus as a good shepherd, and that's to me, is what John is trying to communicate through the way he tells the story. He wants us to know Jesus is in control. Nobody takes his life from him. He's choosing to lay it down out of love. He protects his own. He doesn't lose any that are given to him. And even in the midst of that, I think about the disciples and what's going on in their minds and what's going on in their hearts. Their entire world has been turned upside down by Jesus being arrested. Again, even though he'd been preparing them, they weren't ready. And it reminds me of a story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where Jesus calms a storm. It's another time where the disciples are in a situation and things are kind of chaotic. And they're wondering, where, what's Jesus doing in the midst of this? Which is what Peter and the disciples are wondering. Why is he allowing himself to be arrested? What is happening here? Where is God in the midst of all of this? And, and you see the same thing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke when the disciples are in a boat and Jesus is asleep during a storm. Let me read you Mark's version of that. That day when evening came... Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. This is a, a big storm. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, which may be the greatest miracle he ever performed. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So again, this idea, life getting uh, chaotic for the disciples on this night that Jesus is arrested, several years earlier in this boat, Maybe you can connect to that if there's a place of chaos in your life. The disciples are on a, a, a relatively small boat, maybe 25, 27 feet long, 7 or 8 feet wide, 4 feet deep. A boat like this they found in this Sea of Galilee, which is the sea that the disciples were crossing with Jesus that night. It is night. It was common for storms to kind of pop up on the Sea of Galilee, but this is a really strong one. And Peter and Andrew and James and John were all fishermen. So for them to be concerned, it must have been a pretty strong storm. And again, if you're a guy, to admit that you're afraid in a boat of 12 other guys, that's, I mean, it's a pretty strong storm. And Jesus somehow was in the back of the boat asleep. I don't know how. He's got water falling on his face, and everybody's hollering, and the boat's getting jostled around. But somehow he's sleeping in the midst of that. And at some point, the, one of the disciples leans back and wakes him up. And this question... 
do you care? Do you care that we're about to drown? I wonder for you, if you were to say this morning there's an area of your life that feels somewhat chaotic. If you were to say, yeah, there's a squall in this area of my life. Maybe not everywhere, but in this particular area when it comes to my finances or my health or uh, thinking about my future when it comes to this relationship, this decision I'm trying to make, there's a lot of chaos. And maybe you've been trying to, maybe you've been asking God to work, maybe you've been trying to listen for direction, and, and maybe you're getting frustrated and you're wondering, do you, even, do you even care? Do you even care that I'm dying here? Do you even care that I'm drowning here? Do you even care that I hurt every day? Do you even care that I can't figure out how to move forward? Do you even care? I wonder how that landed on Jesus. It's still early in his relationship with the disciples. But I wonder how that landed on him, even that question, do you care? They just didn't know. They didn't know the extent of his care. And he gets up and he quiets the storm and he quiets the, the, the wind and the sea. And then he says to them, why are you so afraid? He often responds to a question with a question. Why are you so afraid? Do you care if we drown? Why are you so afraid? Sometimes maybe the, this morning you're in the boat. You're like Peter on that night where everything goes topsy-turvy in a heartbeat. And when that happens, we're, we're tempted, and it's kind of based on our personality. Some of us are like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we pull out our sword, and we try to exert our will, and we say, I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to pursue my agenda. I'm going to push forward here. Things are getting chaotic, and so my response is to clamp down and to work hard. I'm going to use my gifts, I'm going to use my talents, I'm going to use my strengths to make this thing happen. Some of us are more like Peter in the courtyard. And when things feel chaotic, we're in the middle of a storm, we just put our head down. And hope everything will work out okay. We go into denial and we just kind of freeze up in terms of our response. I don't know which one of those you tend to fall into which one maybe you're wrestling with this morning as you think about some area of chaos in your own life? Are you more like Peter in the garden? And when things start feeling a little shaky, your response is to exert control. Or if you're more like Peter in the courtyard and when things get a little shaky, your response is to kind of close your eyes and put your fingers in your ears and go, no, 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 no. And hopefully it'll all just go away. Neither one of those is super helpful. Neither one of those responses is super helpful. Jesus' response to that is, why are you so afraid and do you still not trust me? That's what he's saying. To, do you still not trust me? Do you still not have faith, faith, trust? Do you still not trust me? I'm right here, I'm literally five feet, ten feet away from you. I'm right here. How can you not trust me? But for many of us, we can look at that and say, of course, I would have trusted him. If I could see him, if he was sleeping in the boat, then I would know. And, but how many of us in our own life, we wind up doing the same thing? Something goes a little bit sideways, and our response is either to freeze up or to fight. And no, nowhere in the midst of that have we first expressed any level of trust in him. We even acknowledge that he's with us. Two different ways of seeing the same scenario. One from the perspective of the disciples. I'm in this little boat and it's really dark and there are big waves and it's raining hard and Jesus is asleep. 
do you even care if I drown? The other from the perspective of God. Why are you so afraid? I've got this. Just jump. I've got this. Two different ways of seeing the same thing. We've got five minutes, so let's take a minute and pray. We'll take these five minutes to pray and respond. This is what I want you thinking if you close your eyes. Bo's going to come back and he's going to lead us in a time of ministry. We'll have teams here up in the front. and We'll pray with you about whatever you have going on. But I want to pray particularly for people who have some chaos in an area of their life. If you would say there's, there's a storm and you don't have to qualify that. Well, compared to other people, it's really not that. It doesn't matter. It matter what's your experience right now? Do you feel like there's an area of your life that's out of control and Jesus is asleep? If that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. You can do that in a couple of ways. It's really it's kind of a sequence. The first thing I would encourage you to do is to acknowledge that before the Lord. God, this is how I feel. I know, I know that you're always with me. I know that you never leave me. I know that you never forsake me. But my reality right now on July 21st is I feel like you're sleeping. My house is burning down. And you're sleeping. And God, I confess, and you can do this as well, I confess that my temptation, my tendency in these moments is either to exert control or close my eyes and hide, whichever one that is. And I acknowledge that's not helpful. What you're looking for from me is trust. So would you help me? Two things. One, to know that you're with me. I need to know that you're with me in the midst of this. And two, would you help me to trust you with this circumstance? I know you can calm the storm, and I'm asking you to do that. But even if you don't do that, i got to know that you're with me. So would you communicate that to me in a way that I can understand? Jesus didn't fix it for Peter that night in the garden. Jesus had to die, and so he had to be buried. And it, it was going to be some, a day, some time for Peter to kind of wallow in what he had done and his confusion and his doubt and probably self-loathing and all of the things that come with denying you know someone. But Easter Sunday does come. Peter didn't necessarily know it was coming. But it does come. So for you this morning, we want to pray for God to remind you that he is with you. And also pray for your circumstances, that God would calm the storm. But even if he doesn't, I want you to take comfort and take hope, knowing Easter always comes. So Holy Spirit, would you minister to every man and woman in this room, particularly those who would say right now there's a, a place where they feel like you're asleep. They wake up every morning hurting physically, and they're wondering why you haven't healed them. They wake up every morning confused, and they're wondering why you haven't directed them. They wake up every morning uh, sideways in this relationship, and they wonder why you haven't 
reconciled them. Whatever it is, God, I pray that in these next few moments, you would, one, remind them that you're with them. And two, God, we do ask you to change the circumstances. We know you're able to do that. You don't just care. God, you're also able. And so we ask you to work. And even if you're not going to today, we pray that we would know deep, deep in our hearts that you're with us in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. Ministry teams, y'all can come forward. Respond as you feel uh, compelled to do so. And Bo will dismiss us in a couple of minutes.